If y'all get any updates, just let us know. Brian, come up here. This is Brian. Hey, guys. Everyone say, hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey. Everyone say, we love you, Brian. We love you, Brian. All right. Now, y'all can talk to me later about this. I'm just kidding. Talk to me later. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> they, lo- they, they all love you, and they support you just like I do. Brian is, mm-hmm. has been an incredible friend and is a, a loved son of the father and a son of this house. And he asked if he could preach today. And I said, would I always say when Brian texts me and asks me that? Sure. Of course. Yeah. Of course. course. I always want to encourage Brian to preach because every time he does, I'm blessed. And we are as well. Mm -hmm. So, Brian, we love you. Looking forward to hearing it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Like he's up. You forgot something. You're going to need this. I can use it? I'm good. I'm going to be texting the whole time. Anyway, good morning, Pure Grace Church. How are y'all doing? All right, I just want to begin by announcing to everyone that me and my wife have just celebrated six months of being married. So we'll say I love my wife, Courtney. She is amazing, and she is everything that I could ever ask for, for sure. And um, if I have any advice for Gabe, I'm sorry, I don't have any yet. So give me six, six more months, and then I'll tell you. So... Um, still trying to figure this out. Anyway, um, I want to begin by us looking at Hebrews chapter 11. All right, if y'all know what Hebrews 11 is, do y'all know what it is? It is the what? The hall of faith. The hall of faith. Okay, so I want to first announce that we are currently kind of going through a series through the New Covenant. Uh, We're just kind of going through all the basics of what the New Covenant is and what it's not and the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant. Um, Today, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about um, two things that have not changed between the Old Covenant and New Covenant. And that is this. That is God's, God's quest for faith and man's quest for control. That is God's quest for faith, man's quest for control. Um, Hebrews 11, I'm going to be looking at the last two verses, and then I'm going to jump to the middle after that. So first of all, I just just wanted to say this. I want to say that the author of of Hebrews' original intent was not to give us a list of people to copy. Um, Hebrews 11 is not a pattern for human behavior. Um, per se. The author does not instruct us to, mar- to marvel at what the people in Hebrews 11 did and then now go and copy that. That is not the original intent. Um, he is writing to people who, are, who have lived the entire life under the old covenant and now they are transitioning into a new covenant. Okay. Instead, what we see is this. We see that the author of, of Hebrews is showing us that what has mattered to God all throughout history is not works, but it's faith. It is sola fide. It is faith alone. Um, no one in the hall of faith accomplished what they did through being smart enough, through being good enough, through being talented enough, or because they even believed enough. It wasn't even about their amount of faith that they even had. Okay, it was. A, it was never about their. It was never about their enoughness. It was about one thing, and that is dependency on God. Um, The gospel is more than that initial one-time belief. You know, for instance, if you got saved whenever you were five years old in Sunday school, um, the gospel is way more than that. It's not a one-time belief. It is an everyday quest for you to believe it. You need to believe it every single morning whenever you wake up because you're going to be challenged every day to allow the gospel to shape your day, every single day. 
because of this, because we, like everyone else in Scripture, are prone to seek one thing, and that is control. Okay. Um, let me get a drink of water. So I told Justin that I wanted this instead of the table. I did not take into account that I would be having less room. So, oh great, now I'll drop my top. <laughs> Ready to go? All right, one more time. All right. So, some people would like to say this: um, that we, as a culture, are becoming less and less religious. Some people would like to try to, to, like, to like argue that. I would like to argue this, is that we as a culture are not becoming less and less religious. In fact, we are now becoming more and more religious, but only about other things. You see, uh, just because people have stopped going to church on Sunday mornings and just because people are now sleeping in on Sunday mornings doesn't mean that they have stopped trying to look for new sources to try to manage their sense of lack and guilt and shame. Okay, just because people have stopped going to the church to try to manage all that does not mean that they have stopped hiring for new, for new management. You see what I'm saying? Because of this, uh, today people are returning to things like this, among Facebook, among other things. They are managing their sense of lack through likes, comments, memes, and then in the process, they are dying under the weight of not measuring up to the false selves that they have created. The law, whether holy or secular, will kill you every time. It is you trying to, it is you trying to manage your sense of lack, that I am not enough. The spearhead of the gospel is to show us a better way. It is not about good advice about how you can be enough. It is a report that Jesus is enough. Jesus accomplished everything to make you enough. Good advice puts burdens on people. Good news removes, sorry. Good advice puts burdens on people. The gospel removes burdens. The gospel is not about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and getting to God. It is God coming to you and giving you new shoes and showing you how to walk with him. Okay. Hebrews 11. Okay, so I want to go back to Hebrews 11. We're going to look at verses 39 and 40. Hebrews 11, verses 39 and 40. So it says this. It says that all these Old Testament saints in the hall of faith, all of these saints, though they were commended through faith, they did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us. Okay? So what we see there is that they did not, they, the Old Testament saints, did not receive something, but God promised something for them, you see. See, everything that they did, all of their strivings, all of their law-keeping, and all of their trying did not earn them anything under the Old Covenant. See, they were justified by one thing, and that was looking forward to what we have, okay? Because Hebrews, uh, let's see here. Okay, I'm going to jump back up to this. I'm going to jump, I want us to look at Hebrews 11, verse 13. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. So it sounds like the verse that I just read. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. You see, it was never, it was never about their um, ability, like I said earlier. It was about looking forward to what we have. People in the Old Testament could not imagine what we get to experience under the New Covenant. I would never trade whatever I have with God. I would never trade my relationship with God with Moses. I would not trade my relationship with God with anyone else in the Old Testament. 
Um, one of my favorite um, examples of this is, you know, in the, old in the Old Covenant, whenever God would show up with his glory and power, and whenever he would manifest his presence, what did people do? They would fall, they would fall flat on their face, on their nose. Jude, no one really reads the book of Jude, but at the end of Jude, <laughs> at the end of Jude, it says this. It says that God is able to make us stand in his presence. When it comes to God showing up to us under the new covenants, we do not have to fall flat on our face. He is able to, to make us stand flawlessly in his presence. I wish I would have put that in here for us to see, but that was just something added. Okay, Hebrews 10.1 says this. It says that the law is a shadow of good things to come, and we are living in those good things right now. We are living in those good things. That is what the new covenant is. So how foolish would it be for us to try to earn something that God has already given us? How foolish would it be for us to try to look for something that has been sitting, that has been sitting in our pocket the whole time? It's very foolish. So you see this. It is all about grace. It is all about God's one-way love of God that comes to us, but at the same time doesn't demand anything from us. That is what one-way love is. It comes to us. He loves us, but at the same time, he is not demanding anything from us. See, grace is offensive to the, re, to the re, religious ego because of this. If the law is offensive because it tells us what to do, grace is, is offensive because it tells us that there is nothing that, that you can do. When it comes to your sin and when it comes to everything that you struggle with, it says this. It says that there is nothing, there is no amount of willpower or striving that can resolve it. If you're going to be fixed, it's, only, it's going to be only through grace. And grace is far more effective than law when it comes to teaching us this one thing, and that is dependency. Dependency. Okay, so I want us to transition, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 8. I'm mean, sorry, Genesis 15, verse 8. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and start flipping over to Genesis 15, 8. And we're going to be looking at Abraham. Now, if anyone was not a it was not a um, example of someone to follow, it would be Abraham. Um, Abraham jacked it up multiple times, <laughs> multiple times. I mean, he did go into the land that he possessed, but on the way there, he did give away his wife twice. <laughs> I mean, that's not a good work. But at the same time, he made it in the Hall of Faith. Like I said, because like I said, it was not about how good that you are. It was about what? It's about faith. Okay. So the story of Abraham shows us how humanity collides with divinity in a hilarious fashion. The story of Abraham also shows us how fickle our faith can be at times and how easily we can take the will and try to make things happen in our, in our own strength. Okay, so in Genesis chapter 15, God tells Abraham to look at the, to look at the sky and start to try to count all the stars. So Abraham, you know, he looks at the sky, he tries to count, then he, looks at his, then he looks down at his fingers, he's counting, he's like, I can't, I can't count the stars. There's way too many stars. So then God says this, he says, so shall your, so shall your offspring be. So God is saying this to Abraham, he's saying, I'm going to create a new humanity through your seed, and through them all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham, being the old man of faith that he is, he says, okay, sounds good, God, I believe you. And then for that reason, God then responds and says, okay, because of your faith, you are now right with me. You are, you are now a righteous man. 
Okay, then now God promises Abraham a chunk of land. He says that I'm going to give you some land to possess. And then Abraham responds in Genesis 15, verse 8. He says this. He says, oh, Lord, how, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And then God responds with this. But I first want us to notice what God doesn't say. He does not tell Abraham to go ahead, take up your army, and you're going to take it by force. He doesn't say that. God looks at Abraham, and he responds with a straight face, and he says, bring me a cow. <laughs> bring me a cow. That's what I need. Bring me a cow. So then he says this. He says, bring me, where am I at? Bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these things to him, and he cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece on the opposite, on the opposite side of each other. But he did not cut the birds in two, which means this, which means he probably tried and he couldn't. <laughs> so he got frustrated, then dropped them all. He was like, nye, 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 I can't do it. So then the following verse, and this, this is funny too, it says that Abraham drove all of the vultures away, which, I mean, I can just picture Abraham, you vultures, get on out of here, go, shoot. I don't know, me and Justin were like talking about this, like why is that even in there, but it's just funny, it, just, it is what it is. All right, God responds to Abraham's question about how something will happen with this. He is saying, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Okay. I am going to make a covenant. God basically tells Abraham, he says this. He says, I got it, okay? You don't have to worry about, you don't have to worry about anything, okay? I'm going to make sure that this happens. And you see, the, the challenge for, for Abraham was not for him to live beyond limits. I'm going to say that again. The challenge for Abraham was not for him to live beyond limits. The challenge for Abraham was for him to put enough, was not for him to measure up. It was for him to depend on the goodness of God. That was the challenge of Abraham, to put his confidence in the covenant that God promised him. This, and uh, this is the same challenge for us. Whenever we question God about something, how will something happen, and how we will see his, his promises, God's response to us is never to just be good enough. God's response to us is never to just be smart enough, Okay. Because we are, we are in a covenant with God where he cannot fail us, okay? He is always faithful to us despite us, okay? Dependency is about trusting, not trying. I say, I'm going to say that again. Dependency is about trusting, not trying. Okay, so some years pass. Abraham is now 86 years old, and the story picks up in uh, Genesis 16. He has a child but it was not by his wife, Sarah. It was by the younger and more fertile Egyptian servant, Hagar. Abraham, in his best efforts and lack of faith, conceived the son and named him Ishmael. Abraham's confidence at the, at the beginning was, God is going to give me a son. It later turned into, I have to now make this happen in my own strength. Abraham took his eyes off of God's ability to produce a son through him and his wife, and he put his eyes on their old age. Meanwhile, the clock was ticking. Time was getting short. He was getting older. And his faith started to decrease and decrease and decrease. And then in a panic, in a moment of lack of faith, he did something that he should have never done. And let's see here. And meanwhile, the clock was ticking. And, you know, it seems silly to think that God would wait any longer to give him a son. And for this reason, 
Dependency on God at times can seem really silly. It can seem extremely silly. And this is where the story of Abraham and Sarah get, gets really kind of hilarious. And uh, I want us to pick up and look at Genesis 17, verse number 16. This is God coming to Abraham, and he is going to tell Abraham how he is going to give him a son. Like, see, because at first God just told him, I'm going to give you a son, and now, he's, now he is having to come back to Abraham and say, okay, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to give you a son, okay? I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. He says this, he says, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of, kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed to himself, saying, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? So how did Abraham respond? He fell on his face, and he laughed out loud right before God. Because there was no way God was going to give him a son whenever he was knocking on the door of 100 years old. And the story picks up again in Genesis 18, verse 9. God returns to Abraham and says this. He said, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return about this time next year. Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. The way of the woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am old and worn out, shall the Lord, shall my Lord is old, shall I, how shall I have pleasure? The Lord, uh, sorry, the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she laugh? Why did she just question me? Shall I indeed, and then why does she laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied saying, I did not laugh. She is literally lo looking at God and saying, I didn't laugh. That wasn't me. That was, you know, so, that, was, that was Hagar. She laughed, you know. So then God responds to Sarah and says, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> and then in the, in the uh, King James language, it says, nay, but you did laugh. <laughs> so if you ever want to get a kick, just go through some of these stories and read them in the King James. William Shakespeare language is hilarious. All right. So we, are, we like Sarah and Abraham, we are going to face things that are going to overwhelm us. We are going to face things that is, that is going to challenge our faith in God's goodness. Um, it, it's going to overwhelm us, and all we can do is laugh at God and say, I can't do it. There's no way I can do it. This is just way too much for me. I'm tired. I'm weak. I'm worn out. I'm too old for this, God. I'm way too old for this. Go ahead and take me to heaven right now. You see, faith does not begin with saying, God, I can it never begins with that. Faith always begins with saying, God, I can't. And, and then it is in that moment, that moment of faith, whenever we say we can't, that God comes in. And that is what moves God's heart. Because it is in that moment that we make our problems God's problems. We put everything that we stress about and we have anxiety about, and we place that in God's hands. And that is when the, that is when the kingdom moves, okay? It's not us twisting God's arm, 
but it is God in a sovereign fashion doing what he does. Okay. So, later on, whenever Sarah finally, finally has Isaac, and by the way, do y'all know what the, what the, uh, the name Isaac means? Laughter. Child of laughter. Child of laughter. There's nothing holy, nothing sacred, just laughter. It's just laughter. So, whenever she finally sees Isaac, she says this. She says, God has blessed me with laughter so that all who hear the news will laugh with me. And like I said, the dependency on God can sometimes look silly, but Sarah's laughter went from laughing at God, and now she is now laughing with God. Isn't that beautiful? She went from laughing with God. Sorry, she went from laughing at God, and now her and God can now laugh and have joy about what just happened. In closing, I want to I want to turn to this, and we are closing extremely early. I'm so last week, y'all didn't get out of here. Y'all didn't get out of here until like what? It was like 12:30. So blame Justin. Um, Galatians 4:21. Let's turn to Galatians 4 verse 21. So this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he is pulling everything that I just read to you, and he is going to give you a new covenant truth about it. Galatians 4 verse 21. Paul says this. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, you who try to seek control, you who think that you can perform your way to God's promises. He didn't say that. I just added that. Do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he, but he who is of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he who is of the free woman through the promise. Which things are, are, are symbolic? For these things represent two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And she corresponds to Jerusalem, which is now and is in bondage with her children. You see, it's in those moments we can choose to be like Abraham. We can surrender and yield to fear. We can choose to yield to just thinking that God just wants something from us. You see, God didn't just want a child from Abraham. He just wanted Abraham to just believe in him, believe in his covenant. But instead, we see Abraham yield to fear, yield to the fact that time was running out. And what did he do? He had a child, but was born of the flesh, not a promise. You see, we can turn to the law, and we can try to say, God, I know that you promised this, but I got to make this happen, God. I'm going to go to the law, and I'm going to have a child of fe- I'm going to have a child of the flesh. But you see, God doesn't just want that. He doesn't want a child of the flesh. He wants you to believe in him and have patience and have things in his timing. You see, we can choose to be like Abraham, but the ultimate example of this is Jesus. He is the ultimate example of faith and someone who just waited on God and someone who had confidence. You see, Jesus at the age of 12 knew exactly who he was. He said, I must be about my, my father's business. But he did, he did not perform a miracle until he was 30 years old. That means for, for, for 18 long years, Jesus did nothing but have fellowship with the Father. And he was not oppressed by what the, what the expectations of what the world around him thought that a Savior should have been. You see, Jesus lived simply by the voice of his Father. And whatever God said, whatever his Father said, that was what he did. Okay, So like us, we should not 
live by the voices of the, of, the, of, the, of the planet around us about what they think that we should look like, what they think. Are you enough? Do you have enough money? Do you, have, do you drive the uh, correct car? Do you have this? Do you have that? No, we simply get all of our validation and all of our affirmation about who we are from the Father, the same way Jesus did. So Jesus, for 18 long years, did not do nothing with that. But whenever he did, it was not a child of the flesh. It was a promise. And then that was what made him effective. So I want to close by saying this. I want us to just know that we should have confidence, not in ourselves, but strictly in the goodness of God. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and my stay. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your covenant. Thank you for this word. And Father, I just want to pray over everyone in this building right now. And I just want people to just have the confidence that they can walk and that they can trust in you. And Father, I am not strong enough to preach this message. But Father, I'm going to depend on you in every single moment because this is all that I have. And may that be everyone else's prayer. And Jesus, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Amen.